Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Now a show that's going to give you the truth about the biggest epidemic of our times. We're all a little crazy. Hey all, it's your host, Eric Houston. This week, after all the recent news coming out of the French Open first and then now the Olympics, for many athletes, not just a few high-profile ones, we saw so many comments over social media and traditional media, not only calling out some of these athletes as quitters and discounting how mental health can impact us all, but also so many comments from those themselves facing mental health challenges who didn't feel like the competitors had, quote, real mental illness, like they may have. And therefore, we couldn't think of a better guest to help us discuss this current event topic than Dr. Will Vanderveer, who's a pioneer in psychiatry. Dr. Vanderveer trained as a traditional psychiatrist. The model focused on pathology, on mental illness labels, drugs as cures to target each disorder uniquely. And then through his work, and the cool thing is his own personal mental health battles, he discovered something we talk a lot about on the show and with the Same Here movement generally, and that is that mental health lives across a continuum, and mental illness is a spot on that continuum. It's a place we can unfortunately all get to, but it's not the whole continuum itself. And so comparing levels of struggle one person to the next is not only fruitless, it's impossible as you can't measure emotional pain and suffering. Dr. Vanderveer and his partner, Keith Curlander, started training doctors through a fellowship program, the first of its kind, and then treating patients through integrative modalities, looking at systems in our brain-body connection, not focusing on specific disorder alone. Will, before we get into the episode, anything you want to add on what we saw the last few months, these new stories and the misunderstandings of what mental health and mental illness even are? Thanks, Eric. You know, my heart goes out to all the folks who are struggling with anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, uh, all kinds of challenges with mental health. It's really heightened right now and has been for a while with the pandemic. And it just breaks my heart to see people uh, throwing rocks in social media at other people who are dealing with their own struggles. And, you know, it makes a person like me wonder why, why would you do that? You know? Um, and I can only imagine that, uh, we really get scared when we start thinking about our own frailty. We think about, you know, our own, um, you know, weaknesses, our own challenges and um, sometimes that comes out in the form of aggression or judgment or negativity. It's human nature. But, you know, it's such an inspiration to see these athletes coming forward and being so revealed and so naked. You know, like you said, Naomi Osaka, French Open, and Simone Biles, uh, of course, Noah Lyles, the American sprinter, and, 
you know, Michael Phelps has been super open with his challenges. And I just think it's, it's so important that this is coming forward now and that leaders like them are, are taking steps to making the challenges that we all face a part of the mainstream conversation, which is what you, Eric, and, and your organization is all about. So, um, and you know, uh, that, that's part of why I've been open about my challenges as well, is that I think the more people who the so-called, you know, high functioning people come out and say, look, Hey, um, I've, I've struggled too. It, it, it really helps other people get the help that they need. So that's what this is really about. And, uh, you know, the, the, the key words I'll just, as we lead into this show through this opening, I'll share is, you know, you talked about the depressions, the anxieties, the suicidal ideations at the beginning and where you end is on the struggles and the struggles we all face. And I think as humans, we often get caught in this tribal mentality of this is my group. This is my subset. And listen to Dr. Vanderveer's words, not only in this intro, but throughout the whole rest of the episode, because this concept of stigma that we keep hearing about and that we're, we're pounding our heads against the wall trying to stop, it doesn't stop when we stay in these lanes and in these buckets and in these silos. It stops when we open up, when we share and stop comparing and saying who's been through more. So really hope you enjoyed this episode. We had a great time recording it and we'll, we'll, we'll take it from there. Thanks. Thanks, Eric. Hey everyone, this is Eric Hewson uh, with We're All a Little Crazy Podcast, and I am your host along here with NHL great Theo Fleury and global mental health advocate. We're here with a special guest, Dr. Will Vandeveer, founder of Integrative Psychiatry Institute, and Will himself is a doctor, and he trained in the traditional sense uh, as a psychiatrist and has an incredible story after having practiced a certain way and then coming to terms with some of his own experiences, his own trauma uh, in his 40s. And he's our people because uh, to find someone who has had formal training, who's then kind of found a new way, it's so interesting to bring him on as you have Theo and myself, our, our buddy Darren couldn't join us for this one. But to come from a lived experience perspective, the way that we have to be treated in a traditional way and then find that we need help in a different way. That's one thing to be trained in a formal way. And then through your own experience to say, wait a second here, uh, I got to rethink this model and, and, and reapproach. So Dr. Will Vanderveer, welcome to uh, we're all a little crazy. Thanks for the intro, Eric. It's wonderful to be with you guys. Of course, man. Awesome. <laughs> see how you you seem like you got a real interesting uh, welcome message here or something. No, uh, you know I, I uh, you know I don't think I've shared this on the podcast yet, but you know my my mom, uh, you know, lives in a mental hospital, and it's a direct result of you know what fifty years of big pharma that she's, you know, taking and, you know, she's barely functioning, you know, um, and, you know, as a direct result, you know, I was, <clears throat> you know, I have, you know, I sort of made this up, but I have fetal pharmaceutical syndrome because my mom was taking 
uh, pharmaceuticals while I was in utero, right? And a lot of my uh, issues were a direct result of being uh, exposed to uh, Valium, you know? And so, um, and I remember she, I think it was like five or six years ago, uh, I got a phone call, uh, like first thing in the morning, like eight o'clock in the morning. And I didn't answer the phone because I knew it was my mom. And uh, and so she called my wife and my wife answered the phone and my mom was hysterical. And uh, <clears throat> so I got on the phone and it was, it was the first time in, you know, 45 years that my mom actually asked for help. Please get me off these pills. And so she came and because I, you know, had had my own experience, you know, I put, I, you know, instead of going the traditional route, I went, you know, she was doing art therapy. She was doing uh, integrative psychiatry, all that. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, by the end of the summer, we had almost got her off of all of her pills. But her first psychiatry appointment, uh, the psychiatrist wanted me to uh, get a history of all the prescriptions, okay? So I called the pharmacy in my hometown of Russell, Manitoba, and my wife was at work, and they sent 52 pages of scripts in, like, I think it was a four-year period. And when I gave them to, to the psychiatrist she was like what the hell is going on here right so we almost had her off all of her medication and then my parents got antsy and they left and they they got up early in the morning packed up all their stuff and drove 10 hours back to my hometown and within three weeks my mom was back in a mental hospital and so you know, I just wanted to share that story just because, you know, uh, I want everybody to know that, you know, not only do I have my own experience, but part of my trauma was watching my mother, you know, swallow pill after pill after pill. And, you know, we'd find pills hidden all over yeah. the house, all over the house, you know. And so, so, yeah. So I think and I think that's a great segue into Will and sharing a story. Thank you, Theo, for that vulnerability, because I think a lot of people they're used to telling their story all the time and I've already put it out there, but when it's family members, sometimes we're a little hesitant. I mean, you know, piggybacking off that I have shared that I, I tried over 50 different psychotropic drug combinations in that two and a half years of hell that I was laying in bed. And so the reason why I'm saying these are good segues into Dr. Vanderveer, you know, sharing his path is because your mom myself, Theo, even you, when you're talking about the Paxil with, 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 the, with the Blackhawks is we tried that traditional path. And so, Will, is it, is it okay if you start off, you know, because I, I'm sure a lot of times when you're asked to share your story, maybe the, the, the chronology of it, you might start in your forties because that's when a big change happened. But I think a lot of, a lot of listeners might not know traditional training in psychiatry, right? Like you, you decide at what age, you want to be a psychiatrist, when does your training begin, right? Like, what are you doing in undergrad? And then how does that lead into your graduate work? And then just starting off as a quote, traditional psychiatrist? Because, you know, for me, chemistry, like, that's like a whole new world, right? So how the hell do you get excited about 
you know, going to <laughs> chemistry class and, you know, saying, you know what, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Well, I think that I've started my training in psychiatry when I was probably about uh, six or seven days old. <laughs> and I'll get to that uh, later on in the story because that's actually a big part of my um, my trauma history and what actually made me the person I am today. But, um, you know, it's funny. I was I was in college. I was really interested in, for some reason, and again, came to light later why I was so interested in this, but I was super interested in how indigenous people, how um, people in tribal culture, present and past, dealt dealt with problems that people were having uh stress anxiety fear loss traumatic loss you know um going on a raid against another tribe and coming back with fewer guys than left how do people deal with that so i was studying ritual as a way of healing or a way of dealing with problems in college this is, this is at what age that you're like, like i mean 18 19 <laughs> okay i'm just so fascinated by this so going into your college studies, you yeah. just, you're thinking about history, you're thinking about how the, this group of people have been affected, and it's not just the history component, it's socially, emotionally, how are they affected? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and what what are the traditions? Like, you know, we, it, for me, like as an American, like I'm like not in that context, and I feel like we've lost so many connections with technologies for lack of a better word that actually work you know where you sit in a teepee or you sit in a circle and someone is out of their mind with grief and everyone's holding them and trusting the process and the person is laid out until they're done with you know feeling right and so there was this whole interest i had in like how how does this work how why are we so fucked up in North American, technologically advanced, highly whatever society, but we've got all these problems and we're not. And then, so then I got interested from that place in medicine as a way to actually get kind of into the belly of the beast. What, what, uh, what college were you doing undergrad at at this point? So I was at the university of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia Sure. and, um, amazing experience for me coming from, I grew up in Nashville. I was born in Alabama. I was from the South, super Southern thing, you know, like my seven generations in the South, my family, like nobody leaves the South. So going up into the Northeast was like a huge opening for me, like meeting people from all over the world, super fun, super interesting. And then I'm like, okay, I want to be, I, I want to move the ball forward. I want to understand like, how can we integrate and I wasn't even really this conscious of it at the time of like, how do we take the best of like medicine in Western like technology, but account for thousands and thousands and thousands of years of human tradition of how do we keep people well and, and make them well. And so when I applied to medical school, they told me, look, don't say a word about any of that stuff, man. They're not going to take you. They will not, you won't even get an interview if you talk about that. It's interesting. Like, again, I love the, the chronology of telling the story as you're sharing it. I'm like, wait a second. So he's thinking, even though it's not his own story, he's thinking about indigenous people. He's already got the mindset of kind of the 
East meets West, <laughs> um, you know, what's been around naturally for so many years, combining with with current technology. So you had that going in. And then it's so important for people to hear this. You, the, the, the guidance that you're getting is don't friggin mention that at all. <laughs> <laughs> You're not getting in if you mention that. Multiple, multiple doctors who who I knew who said, "Look, you're not going to get in." So I just said, "Hey, you know, I'm interested in medicine. I want to learn about the body. Um, I can't wait to get in there and be a doctor. You know, all the things that they said would be okay to say, which was most. It was also true. It just wasn't the whole truth. And then went through the training and just absolutely loved it. Like, oh, wow, I get to cut up dead bodies. I get to learn about pathways. I get to do chemistry and get to, you know, take care of really sick people and learn it all. And it was so interesting, but still, I was, I was still interested in like, you know what, looking at psychiatry, like how, how do we, what are the things that can help people get well outside of what I'm being taught? You know, what, what about, story? What about listening to people? What about um, people sitting in basements of uh, churches and drinking coffee and telling their stories and getting well and staying well together? Now, now, well, in fairness to the industry of psychiatry, psychology, part of what you're sharing is a step beyond. Part of it is supposed to be in this model that we as patients are ta taught about, that there's a psychiatrist who gives you meds, there's a psychologist who you talk to. So there's a, in fairness to that industry, like the, the traditional model, there is this expectation that you have, maybe it's not storytelling, but you have someone to talk to, right? But it, but in your mind, when, when you're getting the degree at this point, and you mentioned the fun things, right? People might not think that cutting up dead bodies is fun, but I see how it's fun to someone who's got a real interest in science is, but if I'm going down the psychiatry route, I'm certainly not going to be doing the storytelling talking portion of it because the way the industry is split up in that traditional way, it's what's wrong with you. Okay. Theo's mom, here's the 50 here, Eric, here's the 50. Okay. Yeah. Right. No, it's, it's a sad, it's a sad story of what happened to psychiatry. I mean, in the, you know, in the early days, 20s, 30s, 40s, even 50s, um, psychiatrists were trained to really talk to people and really try to understand their psychology, their ego, their their way of looking at the world. Uh, with the advent of the pharmacology that you guys are talking about in the 50s and 60s, basically, um, the way I look at it is that psychiatry had a kind of identity crisis and basically was like, look, we want to medicalize ourselves so we can gain acceptance inside of the framework of Western medicine. And if we talk about people's stories, if we talk about people getting well without medication, we talk about this and that, you know, we're, we're just going to continue to be like the, the black sheep of the family. And it's, it's sad because this whole medicalization of psychiatry took us down this really uh, gnarly path. And then you have 52 pages of prescriptions in four years. And what did that get? You know, did, you know, did that help her at all? Right. No. So, so, so basically psychiatry sold its soul to, to psychopharm is, is one way to look at it. Mm -hmm. So. Because, because they took, they took spirituality out of the 
equation. They took relationship out of the equation and created relationship with the with the synthetic brain chemistry. Right. 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 And and took took the marketing techniques of of big pharma. Hey, you have a neurotransmitter imbalance. You have a serotonin deficiency. These are marketing lines. These aren't actual facts that have anything to do with um, neurology. Which, which, by the way, I know we're we're going tangent here off of Will's story. Is you know, Theo says synthetic brain chemistry. When you take an SSRI, a reuptake inhibitor, it's it's marketed to us as it's synthetic brain chemistry. But you're not taking synthetic serotonin. You're not taking synthetic norepinephrine. What a reuptake inhibitor is is whatever you do have free flowing in your brain that you're lucky enough if your brain does create that amount from when I say your brain, you know, gut brain axis and the whole rest of your body in the way that, um, you know, our, our bodies do create these neurochemicals. It's just blocking the reuptake so that there's more of it available it, yeah. in their theory. It, it's, it, it's not that we're taking a pill that's putting more in there, you know, and, and maybe like people's head, you know, because my, my, my mind was just shaken when I heard that. And I was like, wait a second. I thought this pill was like putting in my brain what they told me I don't have enough of. And it's like, no, they're just trying to take whatever's free flowing in there and allow it to sit around a little bit longer. And my functional medicine doctor was like, yeah, Eric, um, if you have these gene mutations and if you're not eating the right foods and if you have a leaky gut, guess what? You're not making a lot in the first place. So to you know, stop the reuptake, uh, you know, it's not really going to help you that much. Right. Anyway, yeah. Hopefully that, that background was helpful for everyone who's listening, because I think, you know, the thought is I have this error of not having enough of it. I'm going to take more of the pill. That's just going to give me a lot more of it. And that's not even the case. Yeah. It's an oversimplification ultimately. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, I think it works a lot better to think about ecosystems and like what, what are, what are the necessary, uh, components of a healthy ecosystem, right? Where like, if you, if you pull like a, a capstone species, like a moose out of an ecosystem, the whole thing can collapse because that one animal was holding everything together. Um, or you pull a beaver out of, of an ecosystem, same thing. So, so it's, it's way more complex. You, you, you try to hit one thing with serotonin reuptake receptors block that, you know, any kind of complex system is going to recalibrate to accommodate that. And then now you have withdrawal symptoms when you're coming off the SSRI and you want to kill yourself worse than when you started it. In some cases, I've seen that. It's really sad, it's scary for people. All right. But at this point, and I, and, and Theo and I could, could go into the, and we could go into the personal scary stories. You've certainly got many with your patients and, and, potentially with yourself when you got into your forties, well, we'll get into that. So, so, but you're studying traditional psychiatry at this point, you, you, you played the game of getting in, you're doing the cool stuff. And then, and then you're noticing, okay, stories is not part of this. So let's pick up from there. So there were, there were a few dinosaurs around when I was in training, thank God, because I got to hang out with some of these people who were still talking to people. They were still having conversations with people and, and, and they were using medication as well. And at that time in my life, it, um, 
I thought that was really cool that there were, you know, you could use medications and still talk to people. And so I was trying to, I was taking every opportunity I had to learn how to help people get well and stay well through psychotherapy. And, and I learned a lot of different techniques and approaches and I ended up getting out of training, getting my board certification, opening a practice. And within, I'd say about two years of graduation and having this practice, all of a sudden it was starting to dawn on me that medications and psychotherapy wasn't cutting it for way too many people. Like I had some people get well and, and that was great, but there were way too many people who were kind of getting into this treadmill of like, okay, this medication didn't work. Okay. Let's try this one. Okay. Now let's try this one. And it just didn't, it didn't feel good in my heart to like, you know, keep, um, enrolling people in this kind of carousel of medication. I'm so happy you said that because coming from someone who was at a doctor who was supposed to be the, the top of the Northeast, um, and being sat down at a whiteboard with four different lines, SSRI, SNRI, MAOI, tricyclic, and then writing out each one I'd taken and almost in a jovial way being like, well, you've taken this, 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 and crossing them off and being like, this is the next one you're going to take. And there was no compassion about like, hey, it's probably been miserable for you to try each one of these, and I don't feel good about it. Instead, he was so psyched about how much he knew about the whole mix that he'd be able to project that you know um, education onto me. And I'm sitting here being like, I just want the next one to work. <laughs> like, I, I don't, I don't care that you know all these things. I appreciate it, but like, I just want the next one to work. And I think it's cool that that you know at this point. And by the way, not not to give away your age, Will, but if you can give us a general sense, you're coming into the psychiatry world after having gotten your degree. At around what year is this? Thirty. So it was 2002. So I was 31, 32 years old. Okay. And I was, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, man. I was going to save the world with medication and psychotherapy. Okay. That's important for everyone to know because you're talking about, you know, the changes in the 50s, 60s. Here you are in the 2000s. Yeah. You're you're finding a couple of dinosaurs who still practice talking to people, as ridiculous as that sounds, um, in addition to giving away the, the medication. What a concept. Relationship. <laughs> what a concept. that. That must be something. That must be something new. But but Will, like you know, again, I I know it's a touchy line with throwing the the existing industry under the bus, and, and we all have to work together. But okay, the skeptic in me, the the patient, and I'm sure Theo feels this way as well. Thinks there's got to be courses in med school on patient management, right? And um, how how long is the right appointment, right? Right. I, mean, I, I was seeing doctors where sometimes there were 15 minutes appointment, 15 minute appointments or 30 minutes, you know, if it for, for some people out there versus back to the relationship thing. So I would go in, person would say, how are you feeling? How did, how's it doing on the last drug you're on? OK, it's good. It's bad. It's not good. Cool. Here's the next thing we're going to try. And that was it. Right. So take us through, if you don't mind, when when you're being traditionally trained and you're and you're getting your degree. Is there a course on, you know, what's the ideal appointment time? Is there like, that's the stuff I think everyday Mm -hmm. people would love to know. Yeah. So a lot of that stuff is driven by insurance reimbursement as, as you probably know. And it's really sad because, um, you know, 
a psychiatrist typically, so I'll give you an example. When I was at the end of my psychiatry training, four-year training, um, they brought in people from all different organizations to kind of tell us about how cool it is to work in their organization. And one person came from Kaiser Permanente and she said, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I've got my computer and I've got my chair for my patient. And already I was like, wait a second, I don't want to have a computer open when I'm talking to somebody and trying to listen to them. Right. But then I, I said, look, um, I'm just curious, like how many patients do you have under your care? She said, um, about a thousand. And I said, this is in 2002. And I said, uh, with all respect, how do you know them? Like, how, how do you even remember their names or who they are? And her answer to that was, well, I've got them all in my computer in the, in the session. And I was like, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to work. You know, I don't want to work in that system. So that works. So Patch Adams was on to something really important when he made that movie, right? Mm -hmm. that, yeah. was his, that was his whole premise was to create relationship in his, in his patients. And sometimes you just need to hold space, right? Right. You know, it's not, it's not about medication, but <clears throat> you know, uh, you know, because we're taught to trust you with our lives, right? Do, do, right. No harm, do no harm. We're not taught to advocate for ourselves when it comes to medicine. Like, you know, and, you know, I teach that to my, to my groups is it's okay for you to ask, why are you giving me this? What are the side effects? You know, it's okay for you to ask questions. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's not okay for you not to ask questions. You know, right. But Theo, like so. So a doctor, let's just say a doctor that's open to taking those questions like, Will, your classmates in school mm -hmm. or, or, or even in the last 20 plus years, doctors that you speak to now, is there not intellectual curiosity? Like, I understand that insurance makes it so that here's the length of the appointment. Here's what we reimburse you for. But as someone who enjoyed cutting up bodies, OK, and enjoyed learning about systems, which I would assume would be the case of most doctors getting into the field of medicine, to then be going down a path where the insurance company is telling you or the industry is telling you, here's your 30-minute, 45-minute appointments, and here's what you do. You just dole these pills out. Doesn't it like – like yes, I think you're a rare – I shouldn't say rare. Hopefully, there's more doctors out there. But you you cared about the patient clearly based on what we're hearing you say. But even just in your own interest of doing your day-to-day, -day, like you just studied all these years to get this degree. Don't you look at it like, really, this is all I'm doing is throwing a dart at a dartboard every time that someone comes in? Like isn't there a yearning for finding out more about that person's brain and what's going on in their life? And why do we have so many doctors that don't do that if you would think the reason for going to med school is mm -hmm. to be able to learn systems and understand the intricacies of people? So, so, so with Eric saying that, um, you know, how, how much did you guys talk about trauma in your degree? <laughs> trauma, man. I mean, we, we had a VA that was associated with the medical school, which yeah. is typical. Yeah. Um, and there were veterans there who had the diagnosis of PTSD. But outside of that, there was no comprehension about trauma. Um, you know, 
a, a veteran who went to the war, who came back, messed up, had PTSD and nobody else, yeah. you know, it was like, you did not look for it. You didn't talk about it. You didn't understand it. You didn't, you didn't see the connections between, you know, diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, all these things, addiction, connection between trauma and addiction, nothing, you know, nothing. So So, so you're learning, well, you're learning in school. And I know I'm asking multiple questions at the same time. So I apologize for you to have to manage it all. If I need to repeat, I will. That's right. You're, you're, you're in school and you're just being told that I'm assuming certain disorders just arise in people. Here's how they arise. And when they arise, here's the right, you know, tool in the toolkit to give them in your pill bottle, pill bottles. Um, and, and not much underlying about lived experiences. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. And there was no, you know, the adverse childhood events study hadn't come out, you know, there was just a lot that we didn't understand. I mean, we were taught that, you know, bipolar disorder is like a biological thing. And I do think that it has biological components to it for sure. So I'm not denying that. But what, what was always crazy to me in my training was like, okay, it's a biological illness, but what is the biology of it? Right, right. Why aren't we asking that? Like, what is happening with like calcium channels and neurons? And like, why is there, why do epilepsy drugs work for bipolar? You know, what's the connection there? How do we understand all this? And, and then, you know, also in depression and like anxiety disorder, what's to me is crazy in anxiety disorders. Like you look at panic disorder or OCD or PTSD. PTSD is the only condition that we even talk about trauma in. We don't have any conversation about Because that's the best label, the best description of the label. Yep. Right. Post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. It actually tells you what happened to you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and it's, it, so it's interesting because like, you know, Robin Lanner, who we work with, is, is convinced very similar to what you just described, Will, that, you know, he had some genetic predispositions for it, but the shit that happened to him in life yeah, is what brought it about, right? And so right. as Theo's describing PTSD, like when I was first explaining the shit that I went through as a child, how that impacted my mental health, my first response was, who the hell doesn't have PTSD, at least in some form then, yeah, right? Exactly. Like it's almost the exact opposite of what you were taught in med school and what we were taught, like, in, in your health class in, in eighth grade, they were like, PTSD is for servicemen and women. And that's it. Like, right. that was the one line you were taught, yeah. you know? And, and no, talk yeah. about, like, separating society into different buckets. It's like, okay, there's the damaged people, the misfits, the shell shock exactly. people. They can't ever, you know, get back into society because of how their brain's been messed up. Let them be on their own. It's like, oh, right. my God. And right. I didn't get my PTSD diagnosis till my third treatment center. And I went to a trauma treatment center, you know, and, you know, my EMDR uh, lady said, you have post-traumatic stress disorder. I was like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) You know, she's like, you're traumatized. You're traumatized. And that's why you're having all of these issues. And I was like, wow, okay. So I do a few sessions of EMDR and I'm like, oh my God, like I just felt so much relief and you know I, I finally had an answer to my behavior and all this stuff it was like and and that's when i got excited about therapy yeah right right 
that's like that's why I'm asking well about being a doctor. Like, how is that not of interest to doctors where they go down the path of take the pill or give the pill and and then this is their career the rest of their life? Well, again, it's to me it's like um psychiatry is trying to make itself into a field where we had crisp, clear black and white answers. And it just does not work. And, and we're living in the tragedy of that, um, you know, 50 year history, I would say. Um, but the good news is, and I don't want to get ahead of ourselves into the good news, but, you know, there, there are ways of framing these situations. And you guys are a big part of it with the destigmatization work of understanding that every, you know, th there's a complex interaction of different systems that get impacted by the way that we grow up, you know, and that the things that we face, the things that we don't even think are our trauma, um, huge impact on who we become. And they, and they not only affect our relationships and, you know, our mental health, but they affect our physical health and our longevity. And, and even what we think is possible for our lives gets impacted, like how we even orient to, to our lives. Right. So, so you're, you're how many years into your practicing as a traditional, I keep using yeah. that term psychiatrist yeah. and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're feeling conflicted, yeah. but you also mentioned, you know, something big happened in your 40s. So take us through that kind of progression. Yeah, that's what, that, that's what I was going to ask. So, so here you are, you're treating patients and you're not getting the outcomes that you want. Like that's got to affect you. Oh. It's horrible, right? So disturbing, so disturbing. I mean, just devastating. And, you know, training for, you know, more than eight years to get to that point. And then just like, wow, this isn't working. So I just got super discouraged. Um, and I ended up quitting psychiatry two years after I graduated. And just going on, I was like, I had met a meditation teacher and listening to him talk about like the way reality works, the way consciousness can, can help you as an anchor point in your life. Um, getting his orientation was very much, um, getting into the body, which I think is somebody is something that Eric, probably your work with, um, Dr. Brown, probably you're really familiar with that kind of like embodied approach, like, and, and so, I was getting a lot of healing in my life just from meditating at that time. And I was like, maybe this is what I'm going to do. Maybe I'm just going to go figure out how to support meditation to be healing for people. And I got trained as a meditation teacher and I started or instructor. And I started um, teaching my patients how to meditate. And I was like, okay, cool. Now at least I have three things. I've got psychotherapy. I've got meditation. I've got medication, but honestly it helps some people, but um, what I started to notice in my life was I was just as, I was just as fucked up off the cushion. As soon as I stood up from my practice, I was the same fucked up person again. <laughs> and it was like, I had these two silos in my life where I'm like, oh, I feel so much relief. And I, and I want to, I want to pause for a second. The story is awesome is as you're saying these three bucks, medication, talk therapy, which is traditional talk therapy and then meditation. I want everyone to li listening, thinking about if I go to some of the major nonprofit websites in this country and I learn about disorder and then it says 
how do you treat disorder? It shows you the medication. It says talk therapy. It says the combination of these two is the gold standard. And then you're lucky if there's a line underneath that says there may be some efficacy in alternate treatments, right? Like it's like the stepchild. And then let's take that a step further because you're saying meditation. We have apps out there. I won't mention their names that they position themselves as using this meditation app is the be all end all to curing your mental health, right? Become 10% happier in 10 days guaranteed, right? So you're discovering this will because I, the, 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 uh, I wanted to pause for the reason of almost uh, recapping what you just shared as you now go into the next phase of your life and your career is <laughs> all the things that we're hearing even to, into today with the meditation apps, these are the only tools at your disposal as a doctor at this point. Right. Yeah. 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 And I was, I was so discouraged. I, I found um, places for my patients to land with other providers in town. And I just went on the, I went, I moved uh, to this tiny little town, a thousand people. And I meditated for like six hours a day for a year. (laughs) Wow. And only a few months in, it started to dawn on me like, wait, it's not psychiatry that's fucked up. I'm fucked up. Like I need to get better tools. I need to empower myself. I need to go learn about the gut. I need to learn about diet. I need to take a nutrition course. I need, there was one hour on nutrition in medical school. One hour, not what course, (laughs) one hour. And so, you know, in the, in the, in the hospital, (laughs) there it is right there (laughs) in, in Denver general hospital, when I was in training, there was a McDonald's in the lobby of the hospital. And we used to joke that we called it McDeath and we thought there should be an elevator from there to the ICU to just take it straight. <laughs> <laughs> straight <on. Yeah. laughs> but it's it, the whole idea that, you know, what we eat, you know, uh, who we hang out with, um, the kind of conversations we have, you know, having meaning and purpose in our lives, that that would have an impact on our mental health. I mean, none, none of that was, none of that was part of the training. So in that year I started to explore and I, I realized I had, I had trained in EMDR previously and I provided that to people and it was huge for a lot of people, but there were other kinds of traumas that didn't respond to EMDR. And so I decided I'm going to go learn how to, um, provide somatic experiencing, which is a different trauma modality, a different kind of psychotherapy, very body-based um, only because only because Theo mentioned getting EMDR and you mentioned learning how to could you just give everyone what EMDR yeah. stands for and just a quick you know uh, yeah. understanding of the eye movement yeah yeah so so EMDR um, is a very highly effective tool for uh, treating I would say simple traumas individual specific traumas where you can put your finger on it and say okay that's what happened to me um, and it was developed uh, in the 90s, uh, and it became kind of a standard, um, which, you know, when the VA adopts a therapy, you know it's been around for a while because they don't, <laughs> they don't operate on the front edge of innovation at the VA. <laughs> so, so, um, so EMDR is, stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing, which is a mouthful. It basically means that when it was invented, the practitioner would 
get tennis elbow after a while from doing this with other patients. Turned out you didn't actually have to do the eye movement to get the result. So there's different ways of doing it now where you don't have to get dizzy and move your eyes back and forth. But it's um, it's a great tool and it's something people should be aware of for sure. Um, so I went and got a train in this new modality. I started learning about um, the gut. I was like, what can the gut tell us? You know, what can we learn about this is actually a great story. Um, the reason I got involved with the gut in psychiatry was because one of the guys who I left behind when I quit psychiatry ran into him on the street and he said, Hey, look, the talk therapy, the, the meditation, that stuff was really helpful. The meds, not so much, but I wanted you, <laughs> I wanted you to know that after you left town, I went and got tested for celiac disease, turned out positive, stopped eating gluten. Pretty soon my anxiety was gone within a few weeks, melted away. And then he went off the meds I had prescribed him and he still had no anxiety. And um, he went on to be able to ask out the girl he was interested in, who he had too much fear to ask out. They got married, they had kids. He still lives in my community. I checked in with him recently, He's still doing great. His kid got tested for celiac right away and one of them has it one doesn't so his kids are not going to have the experience that he had with me of not getting well with traditional psychiatry so anyhow um got involved because of his generosity of tapping me on the shoulder and saying hey you might want to look into this i just went down the rabbit hole and i started learning about leaky gut you know food allergies um inflammation what happens when you eat a lot of sugar how that can impact your your mental health <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want to say some more about that, Theo? <laughs> well, I have Crohn's disease, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's been a 25-year battle, you know, and, and uh, part of the reason why I don't feel well is because, um, you know, I haven't solved that riddle yet, right? So, you know, I've gone to functional medicine people, you know, who put me on 3,000 supplements and, you know, I got to poop and send my stool sample in, all that stuff like that. So, you know, but, uh, um, you know, the gut is, I know that my gut is the biggest riddle in my own personal puzzle that I have to, I have to resolve. But here, here's, here's the deal. So I grew up really poor. Okay. So whatever was put on my plate, I ate it all because if I didn't, I would be really, really hungry. And that hasn't changed. So if I cook a meal, I don't leave anything on my plate. I eat absolutely everything and anything, right? And when I'm hungry, I eat, right? And I, I just don't have that discipline because of that past trauma of not having enough or thinking I didn't have enough, right? And so... Um, part of part of the reason why I've been struggling is because my diet's terrible, right? It's terrible. And I don't, I don't, you know, maybe that's the next therapy stuff I got to do is to rewire that piece so that, you know, so that I get some, you know, but I've had, you know, I've had moments where, you know, like I did a, I did a three month juice juicing thing where I was drinking juice like it was going out of style and I can tell you I've never felt 
better my whole entire life, you know, just, just doing that. Like I would juice two or three times a day and then I'd have one, one big meal at night and the meal was, you know, relatively healthy, but, uh, you know, that, that's such a huge thing. When I, when, when, uh, when I realized that, you know, all of our chemistry and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but all of our chemistry comes from food, right? It, we eat the food, it gets converted into chemistry and then sent upwards. You know, I always thought that my brain was producing all the, the chemistry, but it's actually the food that produces the chemistry, which then regulates, you know, my mood. So if I eat a bunch of sugar, I'm going to feel awful, right? You know, drink too much coffee, I'm going to feel awful, right? So, so that's, I'm, I'm glad that you, you know, you, you went down that road because it's such a, a huge part of it. And and he, I think that the chronology of it, because Will, I want you to chime in on again. Theo and I being the armchair uh, integrative psychiatrist is you know Theo's talking about food. I'll say that food, and then there's hormones in our body and how those combine with the way that the nutrients get broken down or not broken down. Um, Created, you know, thinking about things like whether or not you need methylated or not in terms of the the the, B, the vitamins, right and um, and how chicken or an egg, right? Like, does trauma cause the changes in the way in which your um, your body's able to break down the nutrients that you're bringing into it, and then combine them together to make the neurochemicals? Um, so it's it, it, or genetically were you that way before? And it's probably a combination of the two, like everything else, right? There's yeah. not a, a single answer. But we keep Theo and I, Theo and I clearly have war stories, so we keep interrupting your story, but. We interrupted only because no, it's great because you're, you're you're triggering you know yeah. you're triggering stuff that I think it's important to talk about yeah right? yeah know? yeah for real because because I I like having a conversation I don't like giving a lecture yeah. <laughs> lecture so because because here here's how I see it okay where psychiatry is messed up is is you know you're not treating the spirit of the human okay. So my relationship, and I'm going to emphasize relationship, I have a really bad relationship with food, right? So to me, all of this stuff, and the reason why we're in this, you know, high state of mental illness and suicides and all this stuff is, is it all comes back to relationship, right? And, and if I don't have a teacher who can teach me to have a, a relationship with myself, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to have the life that I want. I need an external brain to come in and insert itself in my situation with compassion, empathy, love, all those things to nurture, you know, that one piece, but it, but it builds trust, it builds inspiration, it builds confidence, all those things, right? And that's the kind of approach I take as an advocate, you know, is I worry about the relationship, right? Theo, to your point that we need that guide, I do think there are some young sages in this world who, for whatever reason, go through trauma like many of us had at a young age and have someone, the, probably the reason why they're young sages because they had someone who supported them and helped them see what you're going through is food for your brain. It, yes, it, it creates negative situations, but when you gain perspective, 
look at the positive that can come from the from what you've gained from the difficult experiences you've been through. Whereas most of us go through difficult things when we're younger and it's like alcohol, drugs, work, too many sports, whatever it is. And we try to get away from what we're feeling and then we never learn ourselves, right? So, so Will, maybe that, that tees you up well for now, your own experience kind of going into the trauma piece. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Eric. So I, I think the context here for me is um, I was kind of the poster child of for what you're trying to accomplish with Same Here Global. I was, I was the kid who, um, you know, bless her heart, my, my mother believed that the best way to help me and my sister survive um, was telling us not to talk about what was happening. You know, that she, she truly in her bones believed that was the best thing for us. And I know that now. Um, I was angry about it for a long time. Um, but I've, I've come to understand that with the limited resources that she had, and the people who were showing up um, to try to threat. Anyway, long story short is my father was in big trouble and went out throughout my childhood. And we had um, gangsters showing up on a regular basis looking for him and threatening to kill him. And he was, he was on the run. And so from a pretty young age, I was trying to take care of my mom and protect my sister. And, um, and I thought that, um, her perspective that if we didn't talk about it, it was going to be okay. I fully believe that as a child, you know, of course. So then forget the last play and move on to the next one. Time heals all wounds, right? All the, the cliches were told. Wow. Okay. And I took away from my mom's message to me that, uh, you really didn't want to be one of the one in five that we talk about in our conversations. You didn't want to be one of the fucked up people. You didn't want to be the, um, the one with problems and the way that you get into the four out of five is by not talking about it. <laughs> that's how you get there. Sure. And I think that's still true today is that it, you, it, it, Will, it's absolutely true. And, 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 you know, you said you like conversations, so don't, yeah, don't yeah, yeah. Time in because it makes me think of stuff. And I'll be short with this, but you know, Robin is asked all the time as a current player, Robin, do you think other players deal with this? And his answer is always like, every player deals with this. I'm just one of the few who's open about it. But he even recommends to these guys for their own career, sadly, with where we're at in 2021, unless you wanted to impact your career, don't talk about it, right? Yeah. So that puts that group in the four and five. Meanwhile, they're more likely to spin out of control than Robin is because Robin's been open with it and is getting help for it. Okay, I wanted to share that because I think it's an important uh, distinction. Yeah, there's there's people who acknowledge it to themselves and maybe to a close circle of people. And then there's the ones who don't. And there's nobody outside of that, those two groups. <laughs> right? Yeah. And it took me a long time to get to that understanding because there was such a big survival drive in me to want to be one of the one in five that was keeping me connect disconnected from myself. You'll, you'll like this joke. Uh, well, so, um, the guy that we're doing a documentary film with, he's telling me about his experience with a psychiatrist. I could tell you would like his psychiatrist. Cause 
so the the director is, is leaving leaving the, his office and the the doctor goes hey uh you know that there's two types of people in this world and he's like what do you mean he's like well there's the people with fucked up families and then there's the people who believe that their families aren't fucked up <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's what i'm talking about yeah totally and then so so getting to you know my 40s and what happened then um so i was just minding my own business trying to do integrative psychiatry and you know meditating and you know teaching people about gut brain connection and doing the whole thing in my clinic and out of the blue a friend of mine reached out to me and said hey they're they're going to start a ptsd clinical trial in boulder and they need a psychiatrist to help out with it and it's going to be testing mdma with psychotherapy for people with ptsd and and i responded with hey isn't that the stuff that causes holes in the brain and people abuse at raves and it's just nothing but badness for everybody who ever gets close to it. And he said, well, why don't you just read the research paper that this is based on? And I looked at it and they got 83% of the people well, and they stayed well for a long, you know, long-term follow-up stayed well. And so I was like, shit, 83%. I'm probably getting like, the other 17% are under my care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'll be lucky if I can get 20% of these people with chronic PTSD. Well, so I started getting involved and from that they had a training study where they put me on the couch and gave me MDMA in a, in a study. And it just opened things up for me in a way that I'd never seen before in terms of my own, history, my own trauma, my own, these splits inside of myself that you were talking about, Theo. And it just, it opened a whole chapter that led to, you know, hundreds of therapy sessions and lots more healing and going really deep in places that I didn't even know existed that needed the light of day to be shined on them. And ultimately, um, you know, had me getting more involved in what I think of as like the, the future of mental health care, which is all of the things we're talking about, you know, integrative medicine, um, deep relationship work, um, for people who need it, like me, like you, maybe you need some like dynamite to get, you know, crack the nut. Um, the, the psychedelic assisted therapy, I think is going to be a big tool that helps a lot of people. It's also not right for a lot of people. So I don't, you know, that's the other thing that we have to be I think cognizant of like, there's no one thing that works for everybody. So yeah, we well, just we will to that point, like it's not only whether it works or not, it's the way it's administered and who's helping you with it. Cause like I was sharing my experience with ketamine yeah. and it was the worst way to take ketamine. I didn't know it at the time. I thought they just left me in a room alone by myself to just trip balls. Like and <laughs> wow. I'd never taken a drug before. So I'd never tripped before. And they're like, yeah, it just it, it releases BDNF and it creates new connections. You'll be good. Oh, like man. six sections, six sessions in, three hundred fifty dollars a session. No, I wasn't feeling better, and uh, you know, I thought I failed that, which makes me now understanding, hearing from you that you know you have to be assisted through it, right? right. Like you have to be taken on that that journey with with the help yeah. of a professional. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it can bring it can it can open up all kinds of scary things. Um, that that really need to be addressed with the skills, right? And it's it's not just like 
Well, therein lies the problem. Yeah. There's not enough skilled people in the space to help the amount of people that need help. Exactly. Well, and that's why Keith and I are trying to train 10,000 people in the next 10 years and, and hopefully accelerate that even faster than that. Um, but we, it's that balance of like the quality and the quantity we need, we need both because you you can't shortcut this stuff. And so, so Will, to, to dovetail it in, you know, because there's such a crossover, you know, we were all connected through Dr. Pleener, who who yeah. heads up our Same Here Psych Alliance, and this concept that that Theo and and Kim Barthel, who's you know a really close friend of Theo, wrote his book with him, you know, is a, is a um, occupational therapist and helps so many people. That's how we came up with the concept of let's brand these different mo- <clears throat> these different modalities in a way that the common person can understand them. So we came up with this concept of star right how many people think of star in a positive way most people right you get a little star when you're a little kid when you do something well when your teacher thinks you did well on a test your parents say oh here's a star on your chart for doing your chores right but star stands for stress and trauma active release and rewiring right so the stuff that builds up in your system doing activities either yourself or with the assist assistance from from the practitioner to release and rewire that out from your system and and what you know that's the beauty of meeting you and Keith is with the integrative psychiatry institute with what you're teaching these doctors remember the first time we were all on the phone together and you guys sent me an email you know your kind of what do I want to call it, organizational chart it was kind of like your chart of treatment for people and all the different ways these things work together and i was like that's awesome that's essentially what star is is you know, unfortunately, there's not many people doing it, but but so for everyone on, on on listening to be able to hear that is you're helping these doctors who've been trained traditionally, the way that you were trained traditionally, to now pick up all these other tools in their tool belt, of which you 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 brought up Dr. Brown before, probably saved my life in terms of after going to the hospital and being told shock therapy was my last resort meeting with Dr. Brown at five in the morning because he decided to make time for me, Theo, that plays into your point about there's not enough good practitioners out there. This guy had to, through a favor, you know, carve out extra time for me to come in five in the morning. And I leave his office at, at the end and he's he's like, Eric, here's 15 things we can do for you. He's writing them out. And he's like, if, the, if these don't work, there's 15 more. And if these don't work, there's 15 more. And this big picture issue of losing people to suicide, losing people to overdose, how much we can put a dent in that when we have doctors who can give people hope because there's many options and it's not just you tried the medication you're doing talk therapy and here's this meditation app <laughs> Is that a good summary? Yeah. yeah yeah i think so i think so and and i also want to give a shout out to the to the practitioners who you know most doctors i would say go into medicine because they deep down they really want to help people they, they want to heal people. They, they don't want, nobody says, Hey, I, I have a great idea. I'm going to see 40 patients a day and, um, and want to kill myself when I get home from work. That's what I'm signing up for. But that's what a lot of psychiatrists feel like, you know, they hate that. They hate that format. They know that they could do more for people. They want to have longer sessions and they're faced often with a really difficult kind of financial mess, which includes student debt from medical school, 
you know, people come out with a hundred, 200 grand in debt, sometimes 300. If it's also from college, I know people who had 400 grand in debt from college and med school. And so those people don't really have the kind of freedom that I would want them to have to be able to say, you know what, fine, I'm just going to, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll see the, the farmer for a dozen eggs and I'll, I'll do this for this person and I'll figure out how to make it work and, you know, live life on my own terms. It's not that it's not that easy. And, and it's not a character flaw in the doctors who aren't able to make that transition. Um, but, but it's, it's a systemic problem is my point. Um, but for people to get outside of the system and, and set up a practice where they can work with people the way that they want to in a way that makes sense in their soul. It's a, it's a journey for people. And, um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's the technical side of what's needed for these people in terms of what the tools that they need to do a better job, but there's also the social support that they need to, to make this personal journey to reconnect back to the reason why they wanted to be a doctor in the first place. You know, you know well, I got, as you're, as you're saying these things, I'm thinking about what Theo and I do day to day and even separately before we came together, you're saying like to feed the soul and to do it. You sometimes have to buck the system and go a different way than what you were taught. Like, okay. In the nonprofit world, I could have created an organization that says we all need brain health instead of we're all a little crazy. Right. And um, I could have said, we're going to we're going to help people who have depression and anxiety, right? Because that's what every one of these nonprofits do. And when you use the buzz, buzz terms of depression and anxiety um, and, and you use brain health, you're going to help the one in five. So people are going to gravitate towards you and then you're going to get donations because that's the, the business model for these nonprofits. <clears throat> and early on, I'd be a lot more financially stable than I was early on where I decided I don't care about the money. I want to do this the right way. Obviously, I needed a little bit in savings to be able to do that, but 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 it's got to be done differently for it to feed my soul. I've met Theo and I reached out to Theo because instead of doing what a lot of speakers in this space do, which is here's my addiction story or here's my sexual abuse story, and they put the buzz term out there and they have the same can speech all the time. Theo was like, I'm going to knock you over the head with how vulnerable I am, and I'm going to share the ugly warts of this because then I'm going to be creating a safe space for you to be able to come in. And I, and I, I you know, I want people to hear that because you're going to, as hopefully, you know, 2021 rolls into 22 and beyond, you're going to hear doctors, advocates, nonprofit organizations and you got to make a decision of where do you feel as a patient, as a person, most comfortable. And it's easy to feel comfortable in the traditional models to say, oh, I was labeled with this. I got this. Or, hey, my friend who says they have depression, when I see them talking about their symptoms, that sounds like me. I'm probably in this depression bucket. Okay. I hear all the time there's comfort in knowing your label. I think that's bullshit. Excuse my language. Like, I, I just, I think that's the easy way out. And people are probably going to hate me for making that comment. I don't mean the easy way out, meaning that you're not still struggling. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. I, I, I respect anyone's struggle. I mean that in that there's another way to look at this, which is all the things that we're talking about, what's underlying it all? How are we actually all connected? 
how can I get a deeper sense of meaning and purpose and relationship and not just feel like I'm not alone because, hey, XYZ celebrity or friend over here has the same label as I am. And, and, and the big picture change on that is how many more people, I mean, you look at the network that we all have together, how many people can I pick up the phone to and just be like, this is the shittiness that I'm dealing with today. And they're like, I got you. Let's talk. And and I don't have to find the person who has PTSD, quote unquote, or chronic PTSD like me. And I'm like, oh, shit, if I don't find that person, I can't get help. So I wanted to make sure everyone heard that from the big picture view, because we need to support each other. We're on this planet. Thea, I think I've heard you say this. So I'm still in your line. Like we're on this planet to connect. We're here to be social beings. We're not here to be put in buckets and separated and say, you're the green group, you're the red group, you're the yellow group. No, that's it. we're here to be humans and to interact with each other. But the commonality and the riddle that needs to be solved is trauma. Sure. But but if that's everyone, Theo. That's the oh, seven that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Everybody's yeah. got to acknowledge the fact that trauma creates all this other stuff. So yeah. I have a question for you, Will. Yeah. When is medicine and spirituality going to come together? <laughs> because when they do, look out. Look out. That's huge. That's huge for me. For me, because you opened your talk talking about indigenous culture. Where has Theo Fleury done his most healing? in that culture and i see that as the greatest untapped resource of medicine on the planet because everything comes in its natural state and it has all those other things attached to it spirituality relationship uh you know the, the medicine is never fucked with it comes in its natural state you know and you know i'm a big 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 pr proponent of of uh, you know that culture yeah i mean it's it's a false once again it's a false separation between spiritual practice and healing there's no difference between we i was just talking about this with a guy i want you guys to meet his name is joe tafor he's a he's a uh He's a North American trained doctor like me who on his own healing path ended up in Peru and getting fully trained um, by the shamans there in uh, traditional ways of healing. And um, I was just talking to him yesterday and he said what I just said, that there's no separation between genuine healing and spirituality. There's no separation. But in, in North America and in the Western medical model, there's no blending. You know how scared doctors are to talk to patients about their spirituality? I mean, people go, doctors have to get courses to like overcome the fear of like, oh my God, like what if I asked a patient, do they pray or, or what is their spiritual connection? What is their community? Like it, it's really scary because they're going outside of this materialistic model where like if you can't taste it if you can't touch it if you can't feel it it doesn't exist if it's not physical and you can't measure it it doesn't exist mm -hmm. 
And for yeah. everyone, you know, I know we're, we're, we're going long here, but for everyone hearing spirituality and I'm hearing the different ways to explain, I think sometimes the fear might be just like there's a fear with politics that when I bring up spirituality, I'm talking about religion and a religion specifically. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a connection, you know, religion can be part of it, right? Right. But it doesn't, for, for everyone listening, it doesn't need to be, are you a practicing Catholic? Are you practicing, you know, Jew? Like instead it's, it's this connection to a bigger, you know, um, uh, universe, right? Where, right. where that's why Theo is talking about natural medicines is yeah. things that were given to us, you know, whatever your belief systems are, but through this interconnected, you know, rock that we live on right now. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and how much, feeling more than just yourself is this big piece of healing that you're not just this yeah. person alone here. Yeah. Well, and you know, one of the teachings uh, that I learned is that when you're traumatized, your spirit leaves because even it can't take it. So it, it goes out on its own journey, its own path. So you're walking around, you know, with, with no, you know, that emptiness inside of you. Right. And, you know, like, I have to call my spirit back all the time in prayer and meditation because it'll go, right? If I don't stay connected to it, it'll go. Right. Right. So, right. And there's an intelligence to that going away at the, at the scene of the crime for preservation, Mm -hmm. but, but then there also needs to be a coming back. And one of the, a lot of times I think about like, how do I actually define trauma? You know, like what is trauma exactly? Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not the event. No, I know that's true. Um, I used to think it was like the patterning in the nervous system that's left behind. And that was my story for a while. And now I tend to think of it more as it's that, but it's also the loss of relationship. It's, it's the loss of connection between what's supposed to be connected in health and, and well-being, and that's internal and external. So you can have disconnection in how one hormone pathway is supposed to do something and it doesn't do it anymore. Or you could have a disconnection from the gut and the brain, or you can have inflammatory pathways that shouldn't be firing, but now they are. Or, or you could have a split between yourself and your spouse or your family or your community. But ultimately, the relationships have to be restored for full recovery and full health. And, you know, most of that stuff when we going back to SSRIs, it's like, it puts that in the context, right? It's like, wait a second, that's not even part of the conversation about restoring connectivity and connections. It's amazing. I mean, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back over the last hour plus that we've been talking and it's just, you know, when, when you see it clearly, I think the way that we've each been enlightened in a way by how life has kicked our ass and from three different angles. But then once you see the picture clearly, it is a pretty clear picture, right? Like, I know that sounds repetitive, but um, it's, it's we've been as a society taken down such a narrow path of you get sick because you have this genetic thing wrong with you and you take this medication to fix the dysfunction that's going on. And by the way, off the heels of you have streptobronchitis pneumonia when you're younger and you take this antibiotic that fixes you, why wouldn't the average person think that's what happens with mental health, right? We're, we're, we're graduated into this, this model. 
And so, you know, love what you're you're doing, Will. Love what you and Keith are doing. Um, do you want to share some places where folks can follow you and uh, take a learn a little bit more about what you're doing with practitioners and trying to reach? 10,000 and hopefully more in the next 10 years. Yeah, thanks. So uh, the best place to go is our website, which is just psychiatryinstitute.com, all one word. Um, that's where all our programs are. That's how you can find us. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it, the good news. And I just, I want to say this to the people who are out there struggling or maybe even thinking about suicide or, you know, tuning in that there are solutions you know there there are ways to get well and you guys embody that so fucking well i'm so grateful for the work that you do and the example that you provide and you know the as you said like we just have to we have to change what the norm is in mental health we have to change what the conversation is so that people don't have to slog through you know years or decades of earnest you know committed honest trying to get well and not getting close to the resources that they need. Um, so, so that's what I feel like, you know, we're all up here, up to together here. Let's stop the stigma against people who have mental illness, right? Like during this whole pandemic, who doesn't have anxiety? Tell exactly. me one person, one person. That's why we all do the work that we do. Will, you're doing it in terms of training the professionals, which is amazing. Um, you know, you, you, you guys are speaking with Titans in the industry, Theo and Will, you guys both know Gabor Mate and oh, yeah. you know folks like that. There, there's a network coming together of people that understand the bigger picture and it, it, it's a grassroots effort. That's fine. You know, like we, we have to fight the giants sometimes, um, to get the messages out there, but the, the relationships with the sports teams, the way in which we can parlay relationships with corporate, you know, so anyone out there with big business who, you know, wants to be a part of an important change message, you know, we want to hear from you. So, uh, you know, Will, really, really appreciate the, the time that you spent with us. And I think I always say to people that I work with, I'm going to love you until you can love yourself, right? you know, and, you know, sort of the theme that Eric and I have sort of jumped on is we collect people, you know, we collect people. And, uh, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, like you're part of the team, you're part of the group and, you know, we want you to stick around because if you stick around long enough, you just might get better. You just might, you know, if you stick around. And so, you know, it's been great to meet, meet you and, you know, I enjoyed being on your podcast. I enjoyed you being on our podcast and, uh, you know, look forward to working with you in the future. Yeah, same here. Thanks, guys. It's been a real pleasure. You just heard We're All a Little Crazy, brought to you by the hashtag Same Here Global Mental Health Movement and the Hockey Podcast Network.